Welcome. We're glad you're here today. It's good to share this time of worship and fellowship with each of you this, this morning, and we're glad that you're here and welcome everyone. Um, let me remind everybody of a few announcements. First of all, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to take those and fill them out so we could have a record of your attendance and pass them down the row so others can do the same. Also, some things that are coming up. We've got, we've got a, a busy time coming up. We've got a lot of things that are coming up here in the near future. Uh, beginning Wednesday, we'll be having Blood Drive on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday. So if you would like to volunteer for that or uh, make an appointment uh, to give blood, then see Jika, and she'll be glad to sign you up. Also, on uh, February the 26th, the following Wednesday, our upperclassmen group will be having lunch at Takaholics. Uh, just meet down at Takaholics at noon and, and uh, put that on your calendar. It's always a, a fun time of fellowship. And on that same evening, um, uh, February the 26th, we are hosting uh, Ash Wednesday service here at Community Baptist Church. Uh, like we do sometimes, we, we join with other churches, and we are joining with First Christian Church. They will be coming here, and we will be hosting the Ash Wednesday service at 6 o'clock that night. We will not be having dinner, but we'll be having the Ash Wednesday service at 6 o'clock. And so we invite you to come and be a part of that. Also, uh, on March the 1st, our children will be doing a fundraiser breakfast, and so go ahead and put that on your, on your calendar. We look forward to that. That's, that's always a good time. And then also on this Wednesday evening, uh, Hussein Abu Bikr will be here, who, who is, uh, he works at the hospital. He is a Muslim, and he'll be talking about his faith, uh, Islam, and uh, answering any questions that we have about that. So I uh, hope you can come and be a part of that. So we've got a lot going on, and uh, it's, it's a good time to be busy in the Lord and to share these times of, of worship, these times of fellowship, these times of service with one another. And now let me invite you to stand and let us greet each other in the name of the Lord. Remember, it's flu season, so bumping elbows <laughs> is perfectly acceptable. <laughs>
pray with me. Almighty God, we come before you today as your children. You have set before us the path that you want us to follow. But we have to confess today that too often we have wandered off in our own way to try to find our own direction. And sometimes as children we are like toddlers and we hear you calling after us and we come back. At other times we are children who are testing our boundaries and ignoring your call until finally fear makes us look back. At still other times we are full of youthful rebellion demanding to be cut loose and set free not knowing how much we still need your wisdom and your guidance. But most of all, too often, we think we are adults, and we've got it all figured out, and we know our own way only to stumble and to stray so far off of your path. So remind us, parental God, that we are always your children. And that we are never fully grown up in your sight, but that we always have a lot to learn from you. Help us to seek you every single day of our lives and help us to acknowledge that we need your wisdom and your guidance. And help us to return to the path that you have set before us and to walk with you. In the name of Christ, who is our companion on this journey, we pray. Amen.
may be seated, and children, if you will join us for our children's moment, please. Yay. All right. Here, I've got something for everybody. There you go, Everett. Kenley. Gray. Chloe. What do all those have in common? They're empty, aren't they? I've been thinking about empty and full. Empty's not a really good good word. It's our bank account's empty. That's bad. That means our fridge is empty. Our gas tank's empty. Our stomachs are empty. And I got to thinking about this over Christmas because we, I bet you all have a nativity scene where you've got Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus is in the manger. And that manger is always full. Christmas is a full time. We're busy. But after Christmas, we're about halfway between Christmas and Easter. After Christmas, we put that nativity scene up. We put it away. And then we kind of do that sometimes. We Sometimes we put God away, put God on the shelf. But you know that Jesus is always in that manger. Even when we put it away, it's always there, ready for us to get it back out. And so it got me to thinking about Easter. And it's coming up. We're, we're about halfway there. And Easter is one where we celebrate being empty. Because at Easter we know that Jesus died, was put in the tomb, but when his friends went to to visit the body on Sunday, the tomb was empty. And that's great. Even That's one empty word that is great for us because that empty word makes our lives full. And we are blessed that we had Jesus that came for us and died for us. And made our lives full. So I'll collect those bottles. And we're going to put them in recycle. So they can be born again too.
no truer words could be said. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you have plans for us that are for our good and our glory. You said, give and it will be given to you. For in the same measures as you give, it will be given to you again. We give you today as a response to your goodness to us. We ask that you receive all offerings and continue to supply all of our needs. May your peace be in our hearts, your grace be in our words, your love be in our hands, and your joy in our souls. In you, Almighty. Amen. Amen. morning scripture is from Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 through 37. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift, therefore, before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, 
causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. beautiful that was. Um, so beautiful that I want you to do me a favor. As, as I preach this sermon, I want that to be your mantra. I want you to call that to your mind every once in a while through this sermon. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Who would you say is your favorite celebrity? You got somebody in mind? Of <laughs> Let me guess. Dolly Parton. <laughs> Some of your Dolly Parton, Elvis, uh, who who else? Any, any anybody else? Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks? Oh. Tom Selleck, okay, yeah. Jesus. Robert Redford, I hear that back here. Okay. Jesus? Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Jim Carrey. Okay, all right, that's enough, that's enough. 
Can you imagine walking in your favorite celebrity's shoes for a day? It would probably be pretty challenging. And I imagine that the only people that could come close to, to understanding what that's like might be a celebrity impersonator. Uh, did you know that there's a, there's a worldwide industry of people who pretend to be famous people, famous celebrities? Uh, and these impersonators usually look somewhat like the people that they're imitating, and they dress like them. They take on their mannerisms and their voice patterns and attitudes. And many of these impersonators will tell you that the attitude is the most important part of their act. A man named John DiDomenica has impersonated President Trump for over 12 years now. And he says that I think with him more than any other impersonation, it's really the attitude. It's coming in totally confident and being like, you're it, you're number one. And that's really important, he says. It's actually kind of affected me personally. He says it actually helps, has helped me to be more confident because his confidence is so, is oh so big and I have to carry that through. And all kinds of people are targets of impersonators, even televangelists. Michael Klimkowski does a, such a convincing job of impersonating megachurch pastor and author Joel Osteen that he once walked through a crowd. And by the way, that's Michael Klimkowski and not Joel Osteen. Yeah. He once walked through a crowd at a speaking event where Osteen was the, the, the headliner, and he shook hands with people and greeted the people there, and people were so excited to see him. But by the time he reached the stage, Osteen's security guards figured out that he wasn't the real thing, and they escorted him out of the building. When asked what his secret was to impersonating Osteen, beyond the physical resemblance, of course, Klimkowski said that it was all about attitude. He said, the Joel that I play is kind of a smoozer. I like to Hollywood him up. He's a, a wheeler dealer type. So the secret to being a great impersonator seems to be attitude plus appearance. And I think that the case could be made that that is also the formula for looking really religious. That was true in Jesus' day, and it's true today. Attitude plus appearance. But here's the thing. Both of those things are easy to fake. Our scripture for today is a part of a larger teaching about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has, has just kicked off his public ministry and he's gathered his first disciples together. He's been teaching and healing all throughout Galilee. And large crowds of people have begun to follow him. And, and, and so Jesus is up on the side of the mountain. He sits down to teach. But in order to understand today's scripture, we need to understand what came before it. It's always important to understand the context when you interpret the scripture. Otherwise, it's kind of like <clears throat> walking in on the middle of a conversation. You ever done that? That ever happened to you? You walk in on the middle of a conversation and you thought, wait, what? Maybe you walk in into your office and you hear one of your coworkers say, and that's when the police showed up. <laughs> and you're wondering. What's the rest of that story? <laughs> You're left to fill in the blanks. And Well, sometimes when we, when we read the Bible, it feels like we're walking in on the middle of a conversation. And we can't really understand certain passages of Scripture un, un, unless we understand what comes before it. The context. The first part of the conversation. And we certainly don't want to base our understanding of God on a Bible verse that's taken out of context. That, hap that has happened way too many times throughout history, and the end result has often been that bad things have been done in the name of God. So for, today, for today's Bible passage, it's especially important for us to understand the first part of the conversation. 
As we've already seen, Jesus starts off this teaching with his favorite subject, which is the kingdom of heaven. He teaches us that those good things in the past few scriptures that we've been talking about on Sunday mornings, he teaches us that the that, that those good things that we do, those things that we're so proud of, they don't earn our way into the kingdom of heaven. Instead, he says that those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are persecuted for God's sake, are blessed in God's kingdom. Now, this would have been some pretty mind-blowing stuff for Jesus' audience. But then he seems to go in the opposite direction and he tells the crowds that he didn't come to abolish the laws of the Jewish religion, but to fulfill every single word of them. And then he really confuses everybody by saying, for I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the people wondered, how is that even possible? The Pharisees and the scribes can't even keep the law themselves. And so how are we supposed to be more righteous than they are? Well, now Jesus has everybody's attention. He is challenging everything that they think they know about their religion. And so the scene is set for today's lesson. And he begins by saying, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Whoa. I imagine that about this time the people are beginning to get a little uncomfortable and shift in their seats. I mean, it's hard to feel self-righteous when even your thoughts are under scrutiny. Is Jesus really saying that it's a sin to even harbor an angry thought? If that's the case, what hope is there for any of us? It's kind of like a mother who was helping her son with a spelling assignment. And they came across the words conscious, conscious. And conscience. And so she asked her son, do you know the difference between these two words, conscious and conscience? And he said, sure, mom, conscious is when you are aware of something and conscience is when you wish you weren't. (laughs) Pretty good definition. Well, everyone listening to Jesus that day suddenly became aware they were conscience, conscious Of the depths of their sin. You see, they suddenly realize that it's more than just what they did. It was also about their attitude. You see, most of them had been feeling pretty good about themselves. Because guess what? They're like most of us. They've never committed murder. They've never stolen anything or committed adultery. But but what Jesus is saying here is that sin goes far deeper than what we do. It involves the attitude that leads up to that action. And so Jesus is saying to us that sin doesn't start where we think it starts. Sin doesn't start with what we do. Instead, sin starts with a decision that we make. And that decision is that this is my life. My life is my life. And God doesn't have any business messing around with what I want. My friends, if you think that sin begins and ends with what you do, you're fooling yourselves. No sane person wakes up in the morning and randomly decides that I'm going to commit murder. No. That act of murder begins with contempt or hatred or envy or anger or resentment or jealousy or pride. It thrives in the heart that does not take God seriously. On the night of August the 21st, 1986, the villagers of Neos, Cameroon, 
heard what sounded like a deep rumbling noise coming from the valley near Lake Neos. And the next morning, they discovered that almost every person in the village, around 1,800 people, were dead. Even the cattle grazing around the lake were dead. And that tranquil blue lake had turned into a strange shade of red. I mean, think about that a minute. Can you imagine if you woke up tomorrow morning and discovered that almost every citizen of of Henderson had died? The grief and the confusion would have been overwhelming. Well, scientists from all over the world came to Neos to to try to figure out what had happened, and they finally concluded that a buildup of carbon dioxide gas on the bottom of the lake had caused this terrible tragedy. You see, carbon dioxide is released from the, the melting and cooling of rocks, and lakes that are near to volcanoes are prone to have carbon dioxide underneath the water. But most lakes in uh, in, in that situation release the gas at a a slow, steady rate. But for some reason, Lake Neos did not do that. You see, this, this deadly gas built up on the bottom of the lake over many, many years until suddenly it exploded like a can of soda that had been shaken up. And that when the gas reached the surface, it, it formed a, a toxic cloud and instantly killed 1,800 villagers. Now, some of you may be thinking, whoa, Pastor, that turned dark pretty quick. But here's the thing. The power of sin, the power of hatred and anger, lust and pride and greed and selfishness, they are deadly. They are the toxic gas that builds up at the bottom of our hearts and minds and then explodes one day into tragic deeds. My friends, that same anger that causes us to stop talking to a neighbor is the same anger that causes domestic violence and school shootings and genocide. That same greed that causes us to hoard our money for luxuries and ignore the needs of others is the same greed that motivates organized crime networks and and slave labor operations. And so what really separates you or me from a warlord or a mass murderer? We all carry that same seed of sin within us. And so what Jesus is saying to us is that we need to examine our hearts. Now, on the outside, we may have every appearance of being a good, faithful follower of Jesus. But is it real? Or are we just impersonating a follower of Jesus? Well, we may be if our hearts and our minds are not truly ruled by the Spirit of God. So Jesus is saying to us that sin doesn't start where you think it does. But he's also saying to us that sin doesn't end where you think it does. Let's look at verses 23 through 25 here. Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you may be thrown into prison. Let's let that sink in for a minute. We may think that our sin is only between us and God. But folks, like like we've been talking on, on Wednesday nights, we all bear the image of God. We are all born in the image of God. We are all created in the image of God. And so if we are in conflict with each other, then we are also in conflict with God. And the gift that Jesus is talking about here is the sacrificial animal that's laid on the altar to be killed to atone for a person's sin. But Jesus is saying, 
Forget about the sacrifice. Deal with the sin. Humble yourself. Confess. Repent. Reach out. Be reconciled. My friends, worship is being in the presence of a holy God. And the greatest sacrifice that we can bring to a holy God is, you remember the mantra? A pure heart. Create in me a a pure heart, O God. And renew within me a spirit. Your spirit. And so it may be that there's an issue that we have with another brother or sister that's standing in the way of our relationship with God. Maybe we need to deal with that anger. Reverend Nathan Baxter, who is the dean of the Washington Cathedral, tells about growing up in a family of strong-willed brothers. And you can imagine how that is. Some of you probably have been there. They got into all kinds of fights and arguments over the years, and usually their arguments would kind of blow over. But every once in a while, Nathan's mother had to intervene. And she would always use the same formula for ending any kind of argument. You boys go resolve this, she would say, and remember that you're brothers. It didn't matter what they were fighting about. It didn't matter who was at fault. Her command was always the same. You boys go resolve this and remember that you're brothers. Do you get what Jesus is saying here? When he tells us to leave our offering and be reconciled with our brother or sister, he is saying that reconciliation is more important than religion. We want to believe that worship means coming to church for an hour. And sacrifice means throwing some money in the offering plate. But Jesus is saying that reconciliation and unity, those are spiritual acts of sacrifice and worship. And they require a whole lot more from us than just showing up. They require humility and confessing our sins to one another and repentance and forgiveness and grace and all of those other things that Jesus came to teach us. So Jesus really shook up the crowd by telling them that sin doesn't begin where they think it does. And neither does it end where they think it does. But the final point that he's making here is that the starting and the ending point of righteousness is living with the heart and mind of God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Folks, we need to be so full of God's Spirit that there's no room for things like anger or hatred or greed. Max Lucado experienced some heart problems a few years ago, and his doctor recommended something called a catheter ablation. And as he was being wheeled into the uh, surgery prep room, Lucado was joking around with the surgeon, and Lucado said, So, You're burning the interior of my heart, right? And the doctor said, correct. And so Lucado said, and you intend to kill the misbehaving cells, right? And the doctor said, that's the plan. And so Lucado said, as long as you're in there, would you mind taking your little blowtorch to some of my greed and selfishness and superiority and guilt? And the surgeon smiled and said, sorry, Max, that's above my pay grade. (laughs) My friends, by nature, every single one of us are self-centered people. And purifying our hearts and cleansing them from sin, that's above our pay grade, too. We need God's Spirit for that. We need to spend more time with God. 
We need to spend more time in worship. We need to spend more time in prayer and in repentance and in obedience and in acts of of service. And as our love for God grows because of the time that we spend with God, we discover that we're beginning to think with the mind of God. And we begin to respond with the heart of God. And that, that is the starting and ending point of all that God means for us to be. To take on the mind of Christ. To respond to the person in front of us with love and compassion like Jesus taught us to do. That's the starting point. And that's the ending point of all that God means for us to be. And it is my prayer for each of us here today that that will come to fruition in each of our lives. Amen. Amen. We've come to to experience the presence of Christ in our very lives. has placed before us life and death, blessings and curses. Therefore, choose life and follow God's way. Go and be a people of reconciliation and integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And in all the paths that you walk, may God hold you steady. And close. May Christ Jesus bless you and every place you enter. And may the Spirit give fullness of life. We go in peace to love and to serve the Lord and to serve the Lord's children. Amen. Amen.